New York Times says exists. This week on the pod, we are celebrating the internet before there was social media. Back when phones were still dumb and the kids only spoke about Fortnite when referring to their favorite Shakespearean sonnets. In my day, our operating systems only had eight bits, and we liked it that way. And now here are your hosts, whose New Year's resolutions were 640 by 480, Allison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. guys, I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast, where we interview people behind different internet communities and phenomena that we find awesome. Uh, so Ali and I, as you all know by now, are performers who performed internet material on stage, used the internet as our script in a live comedy show called Blogologues. And from there, we created a web series called Two Girls, One Show on Hoo Ha Ha. Oh, I was just about to say, Matt, please don't insert that sound effect. Uh, <laughs> and now we have this uh, podcast with the Daily Dot, Two Girls, One Podcast. Um, and it's all an extension of our work looking at the people behind the internet. So welcome guys um, and gals and everyone. Uh, Today's episode, I just want to put out there right away, was suggested by somebody in our Discord server, discord.gg slash 2g1p. Um, Almost surely, shout out to you. (laughs) Hoo-ah! Yeah! It's weird that we don't know their real names. They know our real names. Well, maybe their name is Almost Shirley. I, I don't know. Oh, it's no. Almost Shirley, Almost Shirley. Oh, okay. No. Actually, okay. it does remind me of Burning Man. But it, it was confusing. Like at Burning Man, I met this guy and I said, what's your name? And he said, something fun. And I'm like, that's not a name. <laughs> and it won't ever roll off my tongue to call you something fun. And then also everyone talks about how it's like this amazing, authentic experience. And I'm like, how is that true if I don't know your real fucking name? And if hey. I tried to stay in touch with you, I couldn't. Are you shit talking Burning Man? Oh, this I is fucking love first. Burning Man. Okay. I love Burning Man. What I but people go overboard, but I love it. I just want to climb sculptures all day. P.S. Still looking for a ticket. If anyone is a ticket, let me know, guys. So wait, I have, so so you're saying Burning Man is just a giant anonymous message board where people assume screen names and they're like, yeah, I'm cool dude sixty sixty nine at yeah, Burning Man. Yeah, they're yeah, sixty nine is. is actually what a lot of them. Yeah, that's that's, that's on brand. Cool. They're desert yeah. right. avatars. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people use their real name, but then they have their playa name. But that is not what I want to talk about today. Enough today? about Burning Man. Let's, what is this episode about, Allie? Okay, no, I don't even want to talk you about that yet because okay. we have so much other stuff to discuss. Love is in the air, not for me, but for everyone else. <laughs> what? <laughs> Jen, your brother got married this fucking weekend. I know. Oh my God. Yeah. He, uh, you told me I had a story to tell and I was like, what is it? I'm so dense sometimes. <laughs> well, it's not a real, I mean, it, there are a lot of stories from the weekend, but it's yeah, a my, real story. My like, it's older, not a real story. What? My older brother got married to his teacher. Woo. Scandal Wait, in okay, the Okay. That what? sounded, that sounded good. <laughs> I did not know that you part. Know, she was his grad school professor, but he went to grad school <laughs> later in life. So there really only two years apart mm. but as soon as he graduated they had a coffee date and apparently they had been flirting unbeknownst to one another the whole semester they were like super interested in each other they found out and they ended up dating for four years and now they're married and 
She's awesome. And I didn't think about having... Oh my God, a, it's been four years four that years. they've been dating? I didn't think about having a sister until this weekend. And I never <laughs> even like put that together in my brain. Um, and it's it's life-changing. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's I got, weird. Yeah, yeah. I have yeah. two brothers, so I know what you mean. Now I have sisters. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I, yeah, I never... It's like just the icing on the cake. Um, and I got to be their best person, which was really cool. Um, and her <laughs> sister was also her, I guess, maid of honor, technically. So... <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But wait, I heard you have a story. Is that true? Yeah, I have more stories. Okay, what else? Word on the street. <laughs> Everybody stay calm. Everybody stay calm now. This better be good. I want you to know that I was in New York for a hot minute and I met Jen's boyfriend <laughs> and he is fantastic. Oh my God. The second we met, he started screaming, lifted me off my feet, kept screaming. <laughs> Don't know what he was saying. I loved him instantly. <laughs> she did. She loved him he instantly. He also listens to every episode. And he told me he has listened to every episode. I said, did you go back to the beginning and less, listen in order? And he was like, fuck yes. I'm a podcast purist. He's <laughs> nice. listened to every episode. And then because he listened to every episode, he was like, Allie, how's your insomnia? How's this? How's that? He knew all about my life. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great way to make friends, guys. <laughs> and then um, like three hours in, I was like, wait, what do you do? I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, you he hadn't is- even talked about this. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, and then later you said Don't to me, Don't fuck Jen- this up, Jen. Do not <laughs> fuck this up. Well, first of all, you did say that to me the next day. You also said, Jen, do you, do you just a little bit think that maybe he's a male version of me? Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. He has fantastic hair and he's very loud. She finally found the male version of me and I'm still looking okay. for the male Jen. That's true. It's true. All right. West Coast guys, he's- get on that. Yeah. Matt Silverman, earmuffs, close your ears. Matt. Got it. Jen. Jen, he's yeah. never going to bald, and it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he's got great hair. He's got he great does. hair. He's loud as fuck. I love him. Is it long and he's going to hear this later. And blonde? Yeah, it's long. No, 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 it's no, no, long no. But it's like thick hair. You black, know what I mean? Brown, dark brown. I am yeah. I supposed to like play it cooler because I know he's going to listen to this episode? No. Like, am he I supposed to like this. give him a little bit of a run for his money? Like, I don't know. I was kind of impartial on him. Work harder. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. no wait, he, wait, 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 wait. What's, yeah. his fir- what's his first name? Adam. Also starts with an A, Adam Alley. I exactly. think we're on something. Yeah, I think it might be Alley. Yeah, I was thinking vowels, about that. Two vowels, two consonants. Boom. But you know this exactly is going to ruin. Right. This is going to ruin our sex life now. So thanks, Alley. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what no, you were going for. No, it's not because All then right. you just go back to episodes three, four, five, and seven. I don't actually yeah. know which if that's correct for those who have, you get into looning, <laughs> purists. you yeah. get into feet, you get into furries, you just try all the things. Yeah, but so. I'm just going to be welcome. picturing your feet and all right, all right, all right. <laughs> no, no, no my feet are weird. You don't want to do that. You don't all right. Do well, that. <laughs> I'm so happy that you met him. I'm so happy that you liked him. Is, is that your story? Are, are those your stories for today? Was my there toes sto- are like tiny sausages. <laughs> Allie, all right. <laughs> Have we even said what no. this shit this episode is about? No, no this is knows. all cool. of this has nothing to do with today's episode. Nothing at cool. all. Like I know, but I nothing. love your story. It's not a dating episode. It's yeah. not a sex fetish episode. It, it might be. You don't know. Could That's be. That's true. I do masturbate to old technology. Schwamp chops. <laughs> Today we are Give talking. Give me a floppy disk. Oh shit! No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. A lot of porn on your BlackBerry. That's true. <laughs> Today we're talking with 8-Bit Guy. He goes by 8-Bit Guy on his YouTube channel. His name is David Murray. Uh, and he makes these really detailed videos about old technology. He also restores old tech. So old computers, gaming systems, um, and just travels around looking at old cool technology. Also like owns a lot of old cool tech. So we're going to have to talk to him about 
all of that and what it used to be like and what the value is of restoring this technology and using it now. I am psyched. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Well, the other thing, too, is he has a very large following. So it's really interesting, once again, to think about the community that has formed around this. I, however, want to take old school technology and just make it into weird artsy things. Like I once saw an exhibit (laughs) at the Museum of Arts and Design where there were like butterflies made out of old CDs. And it was amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. It definitely can be used for art. But if I could restore that, I think I might actually want to use an old computer, like watching some of his videos and the old keyboard with like the thick ass keys on them. <laughs> I got kind of <laughs> into it. I think I would want to use an old keyboard like that again. Um, plus, what happens to our old tech when we get rid of it, right? It just kind of lives somewhere Where on a mountain. Where does old tech go to die? Yeah, we might as well restore it. Yeah. Like that movie, but- All Dogs Go to Heaven. Sure. (laughs) Exactly like that. Yeah, it's just like that. Actually, we found out that it like gets buried in a pit. We found that that story, (laughs) and then they unearth these copies of some game. Was this in our No Man's Sky interview? uh, That was the ET. ET. The the game. The ET movie tie-in game for Atari, which was uh, one of the most legendarily bad games ever made. The publisher was so ashamed of it and its poor sales that they dumped it into a pit in. Arizona, New Mexico, and it be- it now is like an archaeological site because it's you know uh, our gaming archaeologist was among the people who uncovered the uh, the fabled drop of these. New uh, Mexico, games. great. So the aliens are going to come, and those are the artifacts they're going to find. Exactly, okay. exactly. Matt, your brain is a steel trap. I don't remember anything that we've done on this <laughs> yeah, podcast. I don't know what I did last week. <laughs> yeah. Only two no things idea. because you know I listen to I listen to everything twice. I listen to it as we talk and I listen to it as we edit the show. But also I'm a big fan of this culture, retro gaming in particular, but also like, you know, my wife and I are big, are really into antiques and you know, so we're always searching for stuff from like 100 years ago, but retro computing is like begins in the 70s and 80s like this is these are artifacts and technology that are as old as we are it's like it follows the 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 chronology of us sort of growing up like remember the apple twos in your computer lab at school like these are the things that collectors care about now and i'm super into that and and david is like one of the authorities on like what is cool what is valuable hey this thing was in a dumpster can we put it back together super yeah. cool so matt because you have an interest in this and because i'm sort of embarrassed to ask our guests this i know 8-bit has become synonymous with old school uh but for me and maybe some of our younger listeners out there could you tell me like what does 8-bit mean exactly uh gosh I, you know i'm not a computer scientist but it is uh the amount of bits that can be stored or processed by a computer system or more like an operating system. Uh, Listeners are probably going to correct me. David should correct me. uh, And I'm not going to Google now, but basically like it's the limitations of an operating system. So back in the day, you had an 8-bit operating system. Then the next generation was a 16-bit. And there's there's a computational reason why things double, but it allows computer systems to process more and more things. So you go back in time and you look at 8-bit software and 8-bit games, and they're very rudimentary because the processing power was only limited to a certain number of colors and a certain number of pixels. And the sound you would hear on the Oregon Trail was like, because it could only play one melody at a time. Polyphonic music was not capable. Were you the person who did the sound for that? I composed. (laughs) Yes, I was was seven, and I composed the Oregon Trail soundtrack. Yes, indeed. Thanks for acknowledging. About the Oregon Trail, guys, measles mm. is back. I know. Do you think we're going to get dysentery Probably. soon and typhoid? 
I mean, oh, it is fuck. the end of the world, so yeah. God damn it. All right, well, it's time for trivia. <laughs> oh, trivia time. <laughs> Today's trivia is unfortunately on hold. I don't have any trivia because it's time for our new segment called Calls from the Public. Oh, me too. I like too. that. Do you know what that's from? No. A $50 oh. Trader Joe's gift card if you can name the television program where that that jingle is from. I'll play it again. I've got it. Pee-wee's Playhouse. Very good guess. Very good guess. Uh, unfortunately wrong. Oh, okay. Syphil and Ollie. Yes. Oh. Did you Google that? I did Google it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> I would never have known that. Do I get a twenty-five dollar gift mm, card for cheating? No, you do not. But no, do you but remember? Do you remember right. Syphil and Ollie? I never watched not it, really. but I, I remember it. Yeah. Holy cow! Uh, I wasn't allowed to watch TV as a kid. <laughs> okay, do yourself a favor. This is the most surreal it was on mtv i want to say it was like a 30 minute maybe even like a 15 minute show sock puppets on a green screen doing the most surreal comedy like my adolescent mind had ever seen yeah it's so weird and it totally holds up in like the weird youtube uh, like comedy world that we are in inhabit now Mm -hmm. Just absolutely genius and so funny, and uh, I love that little that little thing. They would take call, you know calls from the public, but it would just be other sock puppets calling into the sock <laughs> puppet talk show. So freaking good! What a throwback for today's episode. Easily forgotten, like some of this technology mm, that true. was that was cool. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Easily forgotten. Well, <laughs> not that it should be, but yeah. I I cheated, but I was honest about it. So yeah, no, I that's think fair. I should get twenty five. You get a cookie. Mm. From Trader Joe's. All right, I like cookies okay. a lot. I like cookies. Yeah. Okay. So we have a bunch of emails and voicemails today. Uh, what? The first one is from Jim in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We've heard from Jim. Thank you for listening. Uh, he listened to our God interview, uh, obviously, the, the, the biggest get of all time. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, Jim says, So many questions. So God's dick is a lightsaber. What color lightsaber is it? Uh, Samuel Jackson has the only purple one. Does God get a unique color too, or does Jackson have more clout than God? That's a that's a really really good question. Yeah. Uh, what does what sound does the lightsaber dick make? Is it the traditional buzzy sound? Is it you know does it have more bass or something? Uh, and finally, you know, the only way that you would have known, I think, Ali, you. Made made the point that God has a lightsaber dick. Uh, how did you know? And, and did you get a dick pic from God? Oh my God! Yeah, don't worry, I have the answers. Okay, well, first of all, you're disgusting, um, Jim. Is it? It's Jim. Jim. <laughs> yes. I mean, we are. I think. Yeah. What? Jim is a genius. Jim is also um, a genius. So, a disgusting genius. Yeah. So I, I have, I have seen God's dick. Um, I can't really reveal more information than that, but I have seen God's dick. Um, but it's it's difficult because it's a it's a light it's a color that is not on the human spectrum, so wow. we can't actually process what color it is. But it wow. does sound like this. That's accurate. Wait, I'm sorry. I want to make sure it blipped out a little bit. I lost the connection. Could you just? I've seen God stick too, and it does look like it. You know, you can't see it, but Ali's right. And it, it, what was the sound again, Ellie? I'm pretty sure that's what it sounded like. Yeah, we need to. I just want to make sure. 
We got it. What, Ali, what? I'm sorry, we can't is, hear you. We can't hear you. <laughs> Hold on, I need a minute. <laughs> okay. Like, I think we have it because it was fine, but there was a tiny blip on the line and I want to make sure we, we capture the sound for, no, for sure the show. There was. <laughs> sure there was. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> God damn it, Ali. This is, this is what happens when you're overcome with the power of God. <laughs> Dick. Um, Dick. Also, Samuel L. does not have more clout than God. Yeah, God has more clout, Jim. Cool. All right. Uh, here's another email from Tyler regarding our Forest Fen episode, the episode about buried treasure in the Rocky Mountains. Tyler asserts, uh, quote, Fen's treasure was found in a road after an avalanche washed it down by a plow driver. It only had a jewel album and Neil Diamond's gold album, but people still keep writing these articles. I, I assume he's referring to the show, the episode. Why? Uh, it, you know, did we, did we fuck up? Did, it was the, <laughs> was Fen's treasure found and we missed it? But it was still jewels and gold worth millions of dollars, right? Yeah. A jewel album is worth. And uh, a gold, yeah. Mm-hmm. At least four. Yeah, speaking of old tech, that's that's some vintage shit right there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> also, Allie, I thought you were going to perform that one. <laughs> Can you? I wanted to, but Matt already read it. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <Got that>. sorry. <laughs> Matt did it. Yeah. Here is another email from Chris. Uh, and we've gotten a lot of uh, interest recently. I think people are rediscovering our ABDL uh, adult babies diaper lovers episode, yes. which is quite a while back but maybe someone I shared it's it been reposted somewhere yeah exactly uh, the community is really has really been reaching out so we want to thank uh, everyone who's been writing in chris says hi there just want to say a big thank you i only found the abdl episode today but i really enjoyed your show on adult babies of course this one hits a home for me looking forward to checking out many more of your shows so uh, thank you to any new listeners who who discovered the show from that episode, and we hope you are enjoying our ongoing efforts here. Yes, that was awesome. Everybody, keep pooping in your pants. <laughs> keep pooping. Keep emailing us, 2G1podcast <laughs> at gmail.com, or you can call us and leave us a voicemail, and that number is... 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6548. our next segment. Um, we do have a voicemail. I would like to share a voicemail with Ooh, you guys. Okay. We usually get some commentary about the show or a specific episode, uh, people traveling and listening to us. Uh, but this one was very unique. I, I've never heard a voicemail like it before. Are you guys ready? Yes. Oh, God. Is this... Here's a little sniff of what's coming up on this episode of Inside Trader Joe's. I That's it. the thing that got me with Trader Joe's, honestly. It. If you walk in the store, I, I think it. I usually count at least one out of five grocery carts, half flowers and plants in it. That's unusual. Why would someone call us and <laughs> leave episode, like new episodes yeah. of the Trader Joe's podcast? Uh, Matthew, I have a question for you. Yes. How many episodes are there of the Trader Joe's podcast? I know that you know. <laughs> How many episodes? I'm only... I'm only up to episode 64, but there's at least 80. Are there really? Did you make that no, up? No, I don't. I You're don't talking know, about 2G1P. We're at at least 80. Yeah, I we love are. Trader Joe's, but who the fuck is listening to that podcast? It's the greatest question of our time, I if you ask me. I listen to a five-minute Trader Joe's podcast about the new items. That's it. Yeah. Right. I got to admit that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, the, all the new nuts right. and cheeses. 
That's really all they talk yeah, about like on the I podcast. Was, <laughs> I want to so hear about the biryani. You've answered your own yeah. question. <laughs> or some, some yeah. chicken korma. I don't know. Something better. All right. Okay, okay here, so Matt, here, what were you really going to tell us? Here's, here's, here's another voicemail that we got. Okay, so someone called us and left a pink song on our voicemail. Yeah. It, okay, thank you for identifying it. What is this um, song? This I is have pink? a pink obsession. I know all pink songs. Whenever something comes <laughs> on the radio where I'm like, hmm, I really like this, and I Shazam it, it's a new pink song. I Shazam it. <laughs> um, and that is a song by Pink. So <laughs> the end. I was like, did she change the off? words? What's the song like, about? I don't you may think I'm crazy, but I don't care. Like, what is that? What is that? What's the message? What is the hidden message of this? I don't know. You can. Uh, it's it's a new pink song. Oh, cool. It's newer, okay. newish. I, Did you mention pink on the show? And this because so. there is literally no context. There was no name. There was no. Hey guys, <laughs> here's a song. Like literally, well, this is the entire message. That understands my inner soul because I do love pink, yeah. but I don't think that I've ever mentioned it on the podcast. And maybe they thought <laughs> it's, a, it's a great song. Though. They might have thought it's this was song. Grandma Party Hotline. Maybe they got confused. I think right? it was yeah. a wrong number. Yeah. I think it was a wrong number. <laughs> But it was lovely. And please call back and, you know, leave us a new song next week. We might play it. Please call back and tell us what the fuck that was. <laughs> that wouldn't be weird at Not all. Not on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. All right, guys, we got to take a break for them dollar dollar bills. You know what I'm saying? All right. Yeah, let's do it. We're not seeing any of that cold hard cash, but. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck you're <laughs> yeah. talking about, Matt. You're like, we could make some money, but nah, what, what the, the heck? Yeah, let's make right, some let's, money. Let's do it. We will return to Two Girls, One Podcast after this commercial break. And now a real advertisement entitled Aged and Fresh Cut Wood. Stumps, rocks, small, big. I need Bluetooth from the five and dime of the future. Craigslist. Easy trade. You need tree fresh cut or maybe aged stumps or logs boulders or rocks giant selection these landscaping items are available at a private ranch next to woodland hills i'm very close to downtown next to silver lake i can trade some items for a bluetooth speaker high and only i've been through two cheap ones past three weeks I want one that is not too large or heavy, one that will fit into the palm of my hand like a river rock, say 10 inches or less. Send photo and description plus how old it is. If I like it, I can have you meet with the owner of our ranch at your convenience. Thanks. So they want to trade a bunch of rocks and sticks for a Bluetooth speaker that fits in your hand and feels like a river rock. Great trade. You yeah, yeah, very specific, you would do it? but it's a good deal. Okay, yeah. all right. They want it to huh, feel like a river. Such poor decisions. You know, <laughs> yeah. Trading technology for rocks, producing this podcast. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. 
they want to trade some retro technology, uh, rocks and tree stumps for some modern tech, you know, a, a Bluetooth speaker. I, I think you got to find the right person on eBay. You got to find the right idiot. Yep. Yep. Way to make uh-huh. the connection, Matt. <laughs> well, on that note, I think we should get into our interview. <laughs> so, Wait, speaking of idiots? No, 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 no. No. no, no. <laughs> no. Speaking of transitioning old, old tech technology. into new tech. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. So yes. guys, today we have with us David Murray, who is the 8-bit guy on YouTube. Welcome, David. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so happy to have you here. Um, so David, how long have you been the 8-bit guy, both formally and informally? Where did this all begin? <laughs> oh, no, that's a long story. I don't know how much of that you want. Okay. Um, I've been, you know, I've been known as the 8-bit guy for several years. Um, at least four years, I think, is when I changed my name from the iBook guy to the 8-bit guy. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. Maybe three years. What prompted the change? Oh, well, I was originally doing a video series about Apple iBooks. And, um, you know, that just uh, kind of ran out of content. And so I, I started doing a few uh, vintage computer type videos. People really liked that. And so I kept making it with the same name. And a lot of people were saying, well, you know, you really should change your name to something else. And actually, my brother came up with the idea of the 8-bit guy because it sounded really similar, like in the same number of syllables as the iBook guy. And so it just kind of seemed like a good, you know, replacement uh, for that name. A so, smooth transition. Yeah. So tell us how how and why you started your YouTube channel. Well, um, the actually, I've had the YouTube channel since as long as YouTube's been in existence. I used to just put personal videos and stuff on there. Um, but when I was doing the uh, iBook refurbishing business that I was doing back, like, when was that? I think I started that in like 2011, 2012, something like that. Um, I was just looking for a way to get more customers. So I was trying to make helpful videos to put on on YouTube that would, you know, maybe drive some traffic to my website. Um, didn't really work, but people really liked the videos anyway. So I just I just kept making them. <laughs> and that's it? You just kept making them and here we yeah. are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. pretty much. Okay. <laughs> so uh, what did you think when they became so popular? Well, I mean, that didn't exactly just happen overnight. <laughs> right. So it, it's not like mm. I just woke up one morning and realized, wow, my videos are popular. So it's... it's Some people do. Some people, we talk to them and that's the exact story. <laughs> they woke up in the morning like, holy shit. <laughs> no, it didn't, it didn't work for me that way. It was just very gradual. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess there were certain times when I had epiphanies, like I realized, you know, okay, maybe I need to take this more seriously. You know, maybe I need to... Uh, clean up my channel some because you know I had a lot of unrelated videos and stuff on there and I'm like you know maybe I need to focus more and stuff like that there were there were definitely times where you know I I looked at my subscriber numbers growing and I'm like okay I I need to you know refocus make some changes but I don't think I ever just woke up one morning with a you know wow look at all these subscribers (laughs) yeah for our listeners who haven't had the privilege of seeing these videos yet and because you cover a lot of different things from video to video could you just give us kind of an idea of what you're covering on this channel right so uh primarily I like to cover everything about vintage computers typically stuff from the late 1970s through the late 80s is where most of my focus is and I do everything from you know hey let's take this old computer computer and fix it up, restore it, make it look nice again, make it work again, and and, and detail the process of how all that's done. But I try to do it in a way that's not boring, yeah. <laughs> like, a, like a lot of other channels do. And then, uh, you know, I also do like documentaries, like the, the history of this particular product, how it came to the market, what its features are, what made it great, what made it stink, <laughs> or whatever, you know, the case may be. And um, so it's mostly, yeah, 
just stuff like that. Well, with that said, what are some of the greatest pieces of old tech in your view? What are some of your favorites? And do do you own them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have quite an extensive collection here. In fact, it's gotten so big that I, because a lot of people donate stuff to me and I had to just pretty much stop taking any donations because I don't have any more room to put anything. <laughs> um, so, uh, but you know, I think People that watch my channel know that I'm very fond of the Commodore 8-bit series, like the Commodore 64 and the VIC-20. I mean, I think those, and the, you know, those aren't particularly valuable. I mean, you can get those anywhere, but those are still my favorites. I do have some really rare and, and valuable pieces in my collection, but they're not necessarily my favorites. <laughs> and what do you think it is about this content that resonates with people so much? Well, that's a good question. At first, I used to think it was just nostalgia. Um, you know, for like the, the first year or two I was doing the, the channel and it started to get really big, I thought, okay, um, it's all just old white guys like in their 40s like me that, that are watching this. <laughs> but uh, then I started doing the conventions a couple of years ago. So some of these conventions, you know, like these big gaming conventions, like the Portrait, Portland Retro Gaming Convention, the Long Island Retro Gaming Convention, and so, several others started uh, contacting me and said, hey, we'd like you to come to our convention. And I'm like, you know, they're willing to pay and everything. So I'm like, oh, you know, okay. So I started going to these conventions and the very first one I did was the one in Portland, Oregon. And I think that was like three and a half years ago or something like that when I first went to that one. And so, you know, they, I didn't honestly think anybody would even know who I was there <laughs> to be honest, but I was surprised. Like I had, they put this autograph table out and I like had this big long line of people coming up to get my autograph. And I was really blown away by that. I just guess at that point, I never realized that I was a celebrity. I mean, I guess that was the first time I realized. I mean, you can look at the subscriber number on YouTube and you're like, oh, okay, whatever. But to actually see like a line of people coming to get your autograph kind of makes something in your your brain click to kind of finally realize, hey, you know, I guess I really am a celebrity. I never thought I was. Um, anyway, but one of the things that um, really stood out to me was the diversity of people that were coming to get my autograph. And they weren't just old white guys, <laughs> like I thought. I mean, it was uh, there was a uh, women and uh, children. Like you know, I, I'll never forget this. There was this man that walked up to the table uh, during that day, and he had two little girls with him that were probably like eight or nine. They were, I think, they were twins. And I thought he was coming to get my autograph, and and he's like, he didn't even know who I was. Like, oh, I just brought my girls up here because <laughs> they wanted to get your autograph, and it was the oh. two little like eight year old girls that wanted my autograph. And I was so surprised by that. So I had, had to ask them, I'm like, well, okay, what is it that you find interesting about my channel? I mean, you didn't even grow up with this stuff. And they said uh, they really enjoyed learning about the history of what it was like before the computers and stuff that we have now. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense because, you know, I go to like car shows and stuff and look at old cars from the 30s, 40s and 50s. I didn't grow up with those cars, but I'm still, you know, fascinated by how they work and, and how they were designed and stuff like that. So I, I guess that's kind of what it is. That's really interesting. Kids today. Well done. <laughs> um, and what sort of community are you seeing in terms of commenters? Are people really active in the comments on the videos? Are they, you know, giving you new ideas for new episodes and things like that? I actually don't even hardly read the comments anymore. Um, <laughs> That's probably for the best. Yeah. Too many of them. I mean, you keep in mind, I have like several hundred videos now. So if I had like comment notifications turned on, I would literally be getting like, you know, 2000 notifications a day to go reply to comments and stuff. So I usually look at the comments like the first four or five hours that a video is released just to make sure that, you know, I didn't, um, 
you know, there wasn't some huge mistake or something like that in there that I, I might pull the video down or something if, if there's something like that. But yeah, and of course, there's a lot of hateful comments and, you know, as I'm sure you Always, know. yeah. We and know. <laughs> uh, it can be a, a rat's nest to just read through them. And, you know, there's a lot of people say negative things about me and, you know, I've just had to God, learn to ignore people need that to get more hobbies yeah. or hobbies yeah. that aren't trolling. <laughs> yeah. What do you think old tech can teach us about where we're heading with new technology? Well, uh, that's a good question, and there's probably more than one answer. But one thing that comes to mind right away is uh, looking at the uh, the market driving forces of uh, you know, like you can look back at 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 uh, competing pieces of technology, and you can you know, like at the time, I'll give you an example, like beta versus VHS. You know, when it first came out, nobody knew which one was going to be the winner, and of course now we know which one won, and we were able to look back and we were able to figure out the different market forces that caused one to be the winner over the other, even though beta was actually the superior recording format, it ended up being a failure in the marketplace. And you can also look at, um, you know, laser disc versus the, the capacitive discs. You can look at, um, uh, Blu-ray versus HD DVD. And, uh, you can look at, uh, you can look at other interesting technologies like, um, LCD monitors versus the CRTs. You know, when they came out, they were really expensive and everybody said, Oh, these are going to fail. They're never going to, uh, you know, succeed in the marketplace. And there's a lot of things like that. And then when you when you look back at them historically, of course, you know, what they say is uh, hindsight is 2020 or something of that, that effect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it really helps to look at those sort of things when framing, like when somebody comes out with a new pace, piece of technology and they're like, well, is this going to succeed in the marketplace? And a lot of the times I'm able to look at that and, you know, having studied so m- uh, many previous technological failures in the marketplace, a lot of the times I can look at a piece of uh, technology and say, no, that's, that's not going to make it. <laughs> and <laughs> other times I can look at a piece of technology and say, you know, that that is going to make it. Like what? What I'll have get, you predicted? Or what do you, uh, well, what do you think right now is going to make it or not make it? Robots, are they going to make it or not make it? that is a little <laughs> bit controversial, uh, depending upon who your, your fan base is. But I think that electric cars are going to like totally decimate gasoline cars in the next 10 to 15 years. Oh, that's good. And, uh, yeah, uh, and and I, there's a lot of people right now saying no, that's that's not going to happen, and for all these different reasons. But um, what are the you know, reasons? I'm looking... I feel like it'll work. <laughs> I went in a Tesla for the first time and watched it get charged, and then passed by an old school gas station, and it looked antique. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> we're gonna look back and be like, that's where we used to fill our cars. Yeah, totally. Yep, I'm yep. with you. Well, uh, you know, there's been many uh, different um, reasons why people said that it would fail. Uh, One of the big reasons that you still hear a lot of today from the naysayers on that is because they believe that the only marketable purpose for these cars is for like tree huggers, right? (laughs) And so one of the things that they failed to realize is that the cars um, are just generally superior. Like, just like you said, once you've driven one for especially like a few weeks, it's really hard to go back to a gasoline car. It's it's like upgrading to an LCD monitor and then telling somebody, oh, now you got to go back to your CRT. But unless you've actually experienced it, it's really hard to understand why that is. Um, so it's not just an environmental thing. And I think a lot of the people are under the impression that, oh, only tree huggers want this, so it's always going to be a niche. So that's, that's one big problem. But the other problem is whenever you look at like competing technologies, um, you always, you know, even in the case, let me give you an example. Like uh, when DVD came out, a lot of people said, oh, well, DVD's never going to replace VHS. And they give all these different reasons, including, oh, it was too expensive. And they said, well, uh, the um, 
you can't record to them. Like, oh, you still have to have your VHS player to record. And well, you know, eventually they did come out with the recordable DVDs and they were a flop. Like nobody, it turned out really, nobody really cared to record stuff on DVD. And um, anyway, so the, the point is there's, there's a few drawbacks that electric cars have over gas cars. And I don't think anybody's denying that. And one of them is the time that it takes to refuel your car, which granted that is getting better. I mean, Tesla's got it down to like, you know, 20 minutes now. Yeah, it was 20 minutes. Yeah. For the most part. Uh, and, and you don't need to do that every day because on normal days, you're just going to plug it in in your garage and go to sleep or whatever. So, <laughs> but nevertheless, there is that recharge time and, and lack of infrastructure as well. But I think that, um, it's not as bad, you know, if, if you look at like a scale and you say, well, you've got all these advantages over here and you've got a, you know, a few little disadvantages over here. I don't think that disadvantages weigh up enough to, um, to make the product a failure. And, I'll give you a good example, like um, look back at old film cameras, you know, I mean, when digital cameras came out, everybody said, no, they're never going to take off because you can't get prints made and, and you don't have negatives and, and, and all these things. And, and of course, you know, eventually we were able to do those things and guess what? Nobody even cares anymore. Who gets prints made anymore? (laughs) You know, but that was a big, they love to be upset about new things, but is there something that everyone's hyping up that you think isn't going to make it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, not currently, but I know when 3D TVs came out, I had said that I didn't think those would succeed or, or at least ever be more than a niche. And I turned out to be more or less correct on that. I'm trying to think of anything that's right now being high. AR. AR? Like when augmented you, reality. Yeah, oh, augmented yeah reality. when you got oh. like uh, holograms in your life. Also like Pokemon Go. Well, that was Pokemon successful, Go, yeah. so never mind. <laughs> Yeah, I think that'll still be a niche thing. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see that ever being a mainstream thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I'm going to interject I, here because Minecraft AR, Minecraft Earth was just announced. I'm, I'm dating this recording, but uh, th- my money's there. This thing looks huge. But isn't that pretty niche, Matt? I mean, N- Minecraft's the best-selling video game of all time and now you can build minecraft in your backyard or on vacation in the real world when is it going to move beyond gamers is my question well right now it's all gaming snapchat is a good example and snapchat's not uh the king anymore but snapchat had the most impressive augmented reality things i have ever seen and kids and moms and grandmas and and you and i were using them and putting uh puppy ears on each other and having a laugh. No, I only that was liked AR. face swap. I only did F- face, face swap. swap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I don't mean to de- to de- derail. I'm I'm bullish on AR. I think it's yeah. uh, well. It's I don't think cool. AR is going to fail. I didn't. I you know I've I've heard augmented reality. I guess I've just never heard anybody say AR before. <laughs> I guess I've been living in a <laughs> I'm hole. Very trendy. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean anyway. I, yeah, I don't think that product's going to fail. I just I don't necessarily think that it'll ever be like super mainstream either. Um, I think that it'll always have a fairly large niche market. My now, example is bad anyway because it's yeah. such a broad category as opposed to giving <laughs> However, it like an actual piece of technology i do think that um vr like uh, oculus uh that kind of stuff is oh yeah we're gonna when we're old we're gonna live in vr for sure <laughs> i, hope I so. do think there's gonna be a little bit of an explosion with that eventually when someone like apple comes in with their own product because you know i've got an oculus go right now and it's a nifty little product but um it has a certain amount of flaws that I think could be fixed with a bigger company with deeper pockets and more marketing clout. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see VR grow. I think it could grow to a much bigger market than it is right now. I think 
that'll happen very soon, actually. Um, but let's go back to old school. So, what have been, what have your what have what were some of your favorite things to restore? Ooh, uh, my favorite things to restore are the things that work easily. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some nightmares of some stuff to restore. I do get a lot of emails from people asking me to restore their stuff for them, though. Oh, that's got to be annoying. <laughs> it is, and and they they don't understand. Uh, when I say no, and they're they're oftentimes offering to pay me, like, oh yeah, I give you a hundred bucks or whatever. And the thing that they don't understand that I have to, you know, <laughs> explain to them is so when I do these restoration videos, they often take sometimes two weeks to do mm-hmm. one of these videos, right? And then it turns into like a fifteen minute video, and so there's like you know probably eight hours worth of recorded footage plus you know another multiple hours of, of filming and and just doing stuff off off camera and then editing and all this stuff. And so I'm like, I'm not going to spend two weeks to restore your thing for a hundred bucks. You know, what I have to explain to these people is like, uh, you know, yeah, because it takes me two weeks. And the only reason it's worth it for me is because I get all the YouTube ad revenue from that video, because otherwise it would be cheaper just to go out and buy that product. that's already restored, you know, right. <laughs> or that's already, that never needed res- restoration in the first place. Well, okay, here's this idea for you. Write back and be like, yes, I'll do it for $2,000 and I'll sign it. Yeah. <laughs> so then they can be like, my piece of shit was restored by the eight bit guy. And then you make money. Everybody wins. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. I'll take 10%. <laughs> So, David, how did you learn how to restore these pieces of technology? Did you figure it out, uh, you know, trial and error and teaching yourself? Um, well, when you're talking about the the physical restoration, like on the exterior, it actually goes back to um, about 20 years ago. I used to work at a computer store and it was uh, not just any computer store. It was um, a really unique computer store that we had here in uh, the Dallas area. And we sold, uh, bought and sold stuff. Like people would bring stuff in to to sell, kind of like a pawn shop, but it was just for computer stuff. Mm-hmm. And they also like went to like auctions and stuff and they would bring back like pallets of, of computers. And a lot of these were in really rough shape. And one of my jobs there was to test this equipment, you know, before we would put it out for sale and, you know, and repair as much of it as I could. And, you know, I guess I've always been a little bit of a... Um, uh, anal retentive maybe, or, you know, a bit of a neat freak or whatever. And so, you know, I'd see, oh, you know, hey, this has like a bunch of marker residue on it. You know, let's see if we can get that off real quick, you know, and I wouldn't spend a lot of time on it, but I would try like different things. And then one day I'm like, hey, you know what? Uh, denatured alcohol will take Sharpie, like right off this stuff. Hey, you know, that's good. You know, so that was one thing learned. And then, you know, you'd get something else in that would have some other kind of thing like, um, you know, the rubber feet would have turned to like goo and was smearing all over the place. Or, you know, people put like stickers and like labels and glitter and stuff all over their computers. And I'd, you know, like, oh, I've got to get this off because this looks tacky or whatever. So, you know, and the thing about it is these computers, they didn't mean anything personally to me. Like, and they weren't particularly like collectible or valuable. And the way I always looked at it is like, hey, I can't make this any worse than it is now. So, hey, let's let's try all these things. And, you know, some stuff didn't work. Some stuff actually did make it worse. But over like the five years I worked there, um, I had the opportunity to try like, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff. Now, obviously, there was certain limitations to time. I mean, obviously, the boss didn't want me spending, you know, two weeks to restore something that we're going to sell for 50 bucks. But, uh, you know, but the point is, I, I learned a lot of techniques for just cleaning junk off uh, over the five years that I worked there. And I was able to apply a lot of that knowledge to um, the stuff that I do on my channel. Plus, I've had to learn a lot of new stuff, too. Mm-hmm. 
You mentioned you had some nightmares. Did you ever break something that you regretted trying to restore? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, some of those have made it into videos. And then there's been some others where I started work and I kind of screwed them up so much in the beginning that I didn't even make a video out of it because I'm, you know, I'm like, well, that'd be pretty anticlimactic. And, <laughs> you know, I kind of put them aside hoping someday I'd figure out a way to to go back and, you know, fix them. But that never happened. And then I've had some that I've actually restored, but they were just, oh, you know, you, you look at it and you think, oh, this will be an easy restoration. There's only like a few little problems here and there. And then, you know, there ends up being like when you take it apart and especially on the motherboard and stuff, there can be, you know, instead of one problem, it turns out there's 20 different problems with this computer. And yeah, I've had a few of those. I've even made it to, to videos and <laughs> I hope I don't discourage people with that, but that is one of the possible things you might run into. In what ways do you think uh, some old tech is was actually better than what we have now? Well, for one, th- I could name off a lot of things here. So, <laughs> for one thing, old tech was uh, made more repairable. Like when something broke, you could fix it. Like modern tech is, you throw it away when it's when it breaks. I mean, that's just the reality of of that, and that's that's kind of sad. It saddens me, you know, to see stuff going in the trash because it's just. Not to say that it's unrepairable, but they make it so difficult to repair and so time-consuming and perhaps expensive. Do you think they do that it's intentionally just... so you have to buy something new? <laughs> that certainly sounds like a good conspiracy, but <laughs> I think, honestly, I think it just boils down to they want to make it as cheap as possible and the production techniques they use uh, just wind up. That's just, that's the uh, side effect of it. Uh, additional question, like, is it is there a factor here where tech is just more complex, so it's harder for a hobbyist to fix or, or no? Well, that certainly plays a role in it as well, especially when stuff gets really, really small. And it, yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. I would say there's more than one reason, but that's, you know, that's certainly part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's, that's one thing I think is unfortunate because uh, old tech is much easier to fix uh, by comparison, assuming you can find the parts. Uh, sometimes you can fabricate fabricate your own parts, and you know things were just bigger back then; they were easier to work on. I, you know, I can make a similar comparison to working on a car from the 1950s versus working on one today. I mean, not to say you can't fix a modern car, but I mean, working on the older ones was was just much easier to do with standard tools and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think the other thing that I mean, older computers, particularly, uh, were designed in mind for people to. Uh, program them and to hack them. Oh, hack may not be the the correct word, but to to create peripherals and 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 do new and, and and things with them. And today, everything's closed. Like they don't want you to know how anything works. You know, just an example. You open up the computer manual of a computer back in the eighties. At the in the appendix section, it'll actually like show you all the pinouts for every port. Like this pin does this, and this pin does this, and whatever. Today, like they don't want you to know any of that kind of information. Yeah, they actually like go out of their way to hide it from you because they literally don't want you adding anything to the computer or changing the software or anything like that. So I I feel bad about that too. So we we saw some videos about sound and graphics in old video games, and I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit for our listeners who haven't seen those. Like just. a little bit about what that used to be like in, in old, like Nintendo, for example, like the early Mario Brothers and like how amazing that artwork actually was, <laughs> but we didn't realize it. Yeah. So uh, those older computers, they had, um, you know, you look at the screen and it's real easy to look at um, specifications. Like they'll say, oh, well, this computer can do this resolution and this number of colors. And so a person might think, oh, okay, well, you know, 
I could draw artwork around that, but they don't, that doesn't always tell you the whole story. There's often limitations like um, how close together you can put certain colors. For example, uh, you know, a lot of it was broken up into what we call color cells. So there'll be like an eight by eight cell of pixels. And it's like, you can only put two colors in this cell. And, uh, and so you can have all these colors on the screen, but they can't always necessarily be right next to each other. And this was done, of course, because it helps to save memory and memory, you know, you back then video memory was uh, a big part of the computer's memory. And so if you only had like 64K to begin with and your video was chewing up, uh, like on a Commodore, for example, that's like 9K of your RAM goes to video memory. So like a Nintendo, for example, it was, uh, it was even worse uh, because the Nintendo didn't have much RAM because most of the, the games were on, on ROM cartridges. So anyway, so there were all these uh, various different um, uh, like limitations to how you could draw the graphics. And so, you know, you look at some of the artwork that they did and um, what a lot of people don't realize is that artwork was designed around certain limitations. So they may have had to move, um, you know, lines over to, uh, to a different spot in order to make sure it was far enough away from another color so that they could put the color there that they want. So that's why it was really difficult to just take a, any old picture you want and just draw it because you'd wind up running into all these different barriers and limitations. And it's really hard to explain verbally, but the video right. I did. <laughs> the video I did actually shows it all like uh, on screen so that it makes like good sense exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, the long story short, those artists back then had to, uh, they not only did they know ha- have to know how to draw really well, but they also had to know how the computers and the game consoles worked in order to draw stuff that looked halfway decent. Yeah, <laughs> It was really challenging. It's Gosh, incredible it. when when you see it zoomed in and it's just these tiny little squares with two colors and you zoom out and it looks like a like a Van Gogh painting or something like that. So <laughs> it is very impressive. Yeah. yeah one of my favorite yeah. things that I, I probably learned from your channel, David, or, or channels like it was that uh, game manufacturers would add, and please correct me, ROM or RAM to the cartridges to improve the processing power of the consoles, meaning... Uh, depending on what game you were inserting, you were adding processing power to the Nintendo because the cartridge itself had extra muscle in it to like tack on to the system. They worked around the limitations by just stuffing things into the the game itself. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In fact, that's, uh, you know, when game consoles kind of moved to like CDs, for example, uh, that was one of the capabilities that they lost was the ability to to add extra chips into the cartridges for for new features. Um, yeah, there was a lot of new, uh, like there were extra sound hardware, for, uh, extra graphics processing hardware, and of course, extra RAM, all kinds of stuff that they would shove into those cartridges. And of course, that's one of the reasons those cartridges cost so much money. A lot of people assumed uh, that it was just, you're just paying for the, you know, the, the right to own the game, basically, and that you know, which was more or less the case with like computer software that would come on disc or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those cartridges, there was usually sometimes 10 to $20 of hardware in those things as well as the, the game itself. So David, for those of us out there who have some old technology hanging around, but we're not expert restorers ourselves, do you have any tips for us? Like, is there stuff we can do with our old technology <laughs> that would be like fairly straightforward so we don't need to just get rid of it? Well, um... You could watch my videos. <laughs> I think that's number one. Yeah. Uh, so that'll kind of show you how to do some of it. But I think the best piece of advice I could give to something like that, if you're not actively using it or wanting to display it, the best thing you could at least do is store it correctly. Um, you know, a lot of people, they have this stuff stored in places that 
uh, wind up making it degrade further over time. So if you keep it in like a cool, dry place, try to keep it clean, uh, try to keep it out of sunlight. Uh, those those things alone will at least when somebody does get around to restoring it, then it'll be a lot easier than if it's um, exposed to to bad elements. You know, somebody shoves it in an attic or storage building out in the backyard or, you know, or a really humid like basement or something like that. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best advice I can give you. Have you seen any really cool alternative uses for old technology? So like, you know, floppy disks as coasters or things like that? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've seen a lot of stuff, <laughs> including old Apple Maxes, fish aquariums, and oh. yeah. yeah, I've seen that. That's great. <laughs> well, I think that was more of a thing in the '90s. I think people are less likely to do that now because the machines actually have value. That's cool. <laughs> I didn't know the aquarium thing. It does remind me though when people used to bring uh, computers. You know, the computer store I used to work at back um, uh, about 20 years ago. You know, people would bring. Well, I don't want to say old computers. I mean, at the time, they were just obsolete computers. I mean, they were like PCs, like, you know, 286s, 386s, stuff like that. They were obsolete. And they bring them in. They're like, hey, you know, uh, I want you to give me like 500 bucks for this. And I'm like, you know, dude, we sell like something that's like 10 times more powerful than that for like 100 bucks on the shelf. Why would we give you, you know, $500 for your old machine? You know, so they... They'd mull around. Eventually, they come back and say, well, what can I do with it? <laughs> we'd come up with a uh, with a whole laundry list of, of things. I'd always look at them with a straight face. And I'm like, well, you know, um, you could use it for a doorstop. <laughs> you could, um, if you need to take the wheels off your car and you need a jack stand, you could probably stick it under your car mm-hmm. for a jack stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, if you take the case off and take the cards out, you could put uh, coals in it and you could barbecue with Ooh. it. You could use it as a barbecue pit. <laughs> cool. And, and, you know, these people would just think I was absolutely insane. I just tell them this stuff with a straight face. And, and I'm like, I'm taking have, like notes. all these crazy things. Like, oh, yeah, you know, and if you're out with your boat and you need to anchor it, you could just tie a rope on it, throw it out. And, you know, you could anchor your boat down. Yeah, if you're with a boat. Uh, Who the fuck is a boat? <laughs> Some of them, uh, like particularly like old uh, like Mac, like G5 systems and stuff, I'd always tell them, oh, you know, in the wintertime, you could just turn that thing on. It's a good space heater. It'll heat your uh, room up pretty well. You know, <laughs> Eventually, they'd always come back and say, yeah, but is there anything I can actually use it for like – you know, as a computer. And I'd be like, oh, as a computer, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> nothing is that. Nothing like that. <laughs> All right, David, we have a couple of questions from our Discord server. Uh, our listeners were excited to hear that you'd be on the show. We have one from Upa. Upa hopefully I'm saying that right. Uh, they ask, what project has taught you the most? Is there a specific restoration or teardown that you learned a lot from uh, on your channel? Oh, well, mm, no, I can't think of one specific one. It's kind of a cumulative thing, but I know there's two that come to mind that I just, if anything, they just taught me, you know, sometimes it's better to give up (laughs) than to keep going. Uh, That was, you know, I think a valuable lesson and I think one that everybody needs to know. And I've pointed that out a couple of times, you know, at some point in these restoration projects, you just have to look at it and go, you know, it's just not worth it anymore. Let's move on to something else, you know, after you've wasted enough time with it. A a valuable life lesson in a variety of contexts, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's good to have perseverance and dedication, but, you know, at some point you always have to be ready to throw in the towel. Yeah. I've done so on the show a number of times. What? We've given up. No, I'm just kidding. What? Just kidding. Almost Shirley, who is the person who recommended you to us uh, as a guest, uh, they want to know 
what is your white whale? What is the single piece of technology that you wish you could add to your collection that you're hunting for, uh, but maybe for whatever reason you couldn't afford it or you couldn't find it, or, or maybe you did achieve it and, and you have it in your collection. What, what's your favorite uh, piece? Well, for the longest time, that was the Commodore Max. And actually, I have one now, so I can't say that's it anymore. Um, there's... You know, there's a few other things out there that I wouldn't mind having, and it's not that I can't find them. It's just like you say, they're just too darn expensive, and I'm just I'm not going to spend the money for it. In fact, one popped up on eBay the other day, which unfortunately I had like 500 people email me about it, <laughs> uh, which was the uh, the Commodore 65 had showed up on eBay because you know those are really rare. I think there's only like maybe one or two hundred of those in existence, wow. and they're really highly sought after. And I I don't even know what this one went for because I didn't stick around long enough to see the end. But I have seen them go as high as thirty thousand oh, dollars. Wow! So I mean, the moment it was posted, it already jumped up to like ten thousand dollars, whatever. And I'm like, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I don't have that kind of money to spend on just something to sit on a shelf and look at. You know, <laughs> I mean, because it's not exactly a lot you can do with it. So. <laughs> Uh, why are they so rare? I was not even aware of them. Did they just, was it a market flop and they stopped producing? Uh, so, you know, Commodore went out of business around, I want to say 92 or 93, something like that. And so they had started um, a the, the Commodore 65, which was going to, you know, be the replacement for the highly successful C64. And so they had already engineered it and already produced several, um, like I said, a couple hundred uh, engineering prototypes. And I think most of these prototypes were just for validation and sending out to maybe like software developers so they could start writing code and stuff like that. But then they went out of business before the machine ever went into actual mass production. So the only ones that exist are the, the engineering prototypes. So, but they're, I mean, they literally did finish the computer. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, some of them, not all of them, some of the ones out there are like incomplete, but uh, there are several. And I actually know one guy uh, down in Austin has got one um, and I've seen it and it's completely finished system. I mean, it looks like something you would have bought at the store and it's completely done. But yeah, never made it to production. Well, in the words of Indiana Jones, it belongs in a museum. <laughs> um, well, yeah. David, we always love to hear, you know, we've asked a few questions about community building up around this channel. We love to hear about how the internet brings people together. I'm just curious, do you have restoration meetups? Do you ever meet in person with other people who do this? I have met Modern Vintage Gamer in person, uh, and I've met a couple of other um, YouTubers at conventions. Yeah. So... You know, just a few. I've I've met Lazy Game Reviews, or now I guess he goes by LGR. I've met uh, uh, Metal Jesus Rocks. I've met uh, the Gaming Historian. The I've met um, Pat the NES Punk. I've met the uh, the Angry Video Game Nerd. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I've I've met a variety of these people. We've you know had you know been able to talk for twenty thirty minutes or whatever at conventions, but I've never actually like you know, met, met up with any of these. Now I've had phone conversations with quite a few and, you know, I've done some video crossovers with uh, Techmoan and LGR and several others. And, you know, but we just send stuff to each other, you know, by email, like video clips and stuff. So we ended up not actually like <laughs> met up in person. I loved your story about those two twins. Uh, the two young girls were like eight or nine years old. Um, do you have other stories around fans or have they gotten together? Well, I don't know. Uh, one thing that may take a lot of people by surprise is that I kind of have an open invitation for fans to come here to my house, and I actually have them. That seems really dangerous. I, mean, kind of, I would really advise against that. <laughs> that's what everybody says, yeah, don't and that's do why that. everybody's always surprised. Everybody's always surprised to hear that. And the one thing I always tell people is, I'm like, well, I don't do anything controversial on my channel, so I don't 
you know, I don't talk politics or religion or, you know, abortion or any of that kind of stuff on my channel. So the only people that are interested are usually just other nerds and they just want to talk about nerd stuff. And so I haven't had any problem. I've had some really weird, uh, don't get me wrong. I've had some really weird, strange people come to my house, but I mean, they weren't like threatening weird. I mean, they were just like, this person, you know, seems like he's been living in his mom's basement till he's 50 years old or that kind of weird, you know. Uh, are, are people yeah. just literally knocking at your door saying, hey, I'm accepting your invitation? Um, I've had that. And generally speaking, like when you go to my website, there's a whole section on it and I try to do it by appointment. So people like email me because I'm not always here. Right. So right. generally it's by appointment, but I have had people just literally stop by and like, hey, can I get your autograph or whatever? <laughs> and. and you know, I'll give you a little bit of a funny story about that. I don't know how much time we have left. Yeah, we're um, good. We're good. No, go, go Let's ahead. hear it. Better be funny. So, um, <laughs> I cover up my addresses uh, when I do like unboxing videos because I don't want people to. Yeah, fair. You don't have uh, to explain why. To sit. I don't <laughs> you want need people to, cover to send up your me address. garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people sending me garbage, which happens a lot. Like, because everybody thinks, oh, he needs this and this and this. And I really don't, you know. And I have to, sometimes I'll get this stuff in, in the mail and I'll, I just have a whole big box people send me of, of you know, they th- probably thought I could use it, but I just, I have to set it out for the trash, man. I'm, you know, if they had just emailed me first, I would have told them, hey, thanks, but I, I don't really need that. So that's why I cover it up because I want to make people, I, I would prefer it to be the easiest way for people to get my address would be to ask me, right? And then that way I can say, hey, sure, yeah, I'll give you my address. What is it you're wanting to send me, right? right? So that's that's the reason I covered up. But the address isn't actually a secret. Like there's like a hundred ways you can find anybody's address if you know what you're doing. And even, you know, the address has been shown on my channel numerous times and whatever. And I don't make a big deal out of it. In fact, I'll tell you something a lot of people don't know. You can go into Google Maps and type in the 8-bit guy. It'll actually show you exactly where my house is. <laughs> Dude, that, why so, would you say uh, that out loud? Uh, you know, it's because it's it's actually not a secret. But here's the crazy part. So I had this video um, that I put as an unboxing video I did. And I had this big wooden crate. And uh, somebody had written my address on the side of it in big letters. Now, I tried to film the unboxing where they didn't see that. But at some point, I kind of screwed up and moved oh the camera God, in a way that address. you could... Oh, my God, I have your address. So people saw the address on this unboxing video and oh my gosh, the next morning I woke up and I had like, I kid you not, like 600 emails in my inbox of people telling me that, oh my God, David, your address is visible. You've got to go take that video down right now. And then actually people started calling me on the phone. I don't even know how they got my phone number. There's probably ways to do that too. And I started getting phone calls like from random people said, David, David, I just watched your unboxing video and your address is visible. You've got to go take the video down right away. You know, it's, it's an emergency. That's why I called you. And I started getting like text messages from people I didn't know. And it was just, it was driving me nuts for like three days. And so what I finally did is I actually went in and, uh, you know, I, took the video down and I, I blurred out the address, but I didn't do it. This is the irony behind it. I didn't do it because I was worried about people getting my address. I did it so people would stop <laughs> telling me about it. Because uh-huh. <laughs> I actually knew it was you. <laughs> I'm worried. You're way too trusting. This is not a good idea. Also, you live by a bunch of churches in a vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> well, most people that know me also know I'm a Second Amendment supporter, so I don't think anybody's probably going <laughs> to try anything. <laughs> so you're putting all the right information out there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, David, we so enjoyed having you on the show today. Thanks okay. so much for being with us. All right. No Thank you. Ellie, do you remember
remember the time that we uh, had that nostalgia themed show and we told everybody we were going to have Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers at the show. And, and then we, we had did. to figure out. <laughs> yeah. But you remember how hard it was to figure that out? <laughs> well, yeah, because it, we had to buy an old TV. Little did we know. Hook it up. We like, got it on Craigslist, yeah. right? Or you got, I think you maybe picked it up. And then we like had to lug it down to that theater. Oh my oh, God. Man. But it worked. And people were. Well, the bigger issue out. was like, then we had to get rid of the TV after. <laughs> Nobody wanted to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, didn't we like put it back on Craigslist and they were like, no, we don't want it. Yeah. I also went to this thing called a smash party in LA and it's when you take old technology into a cage, you put on safety goggles and a jumpsuit, you grab a crowbar and you get one minute to ruin the shit. So I beat the shit out of an old TV and I, on the one hand, it was like, at first, I was like, ugh, American consumerism that were just like destroying these products. Yeah. But I guess a lot of them just like aren't reusable anyway. And I have to say that when you're in the cage destroying that tech, it is the most fun, cathartic thing ever in the whole world. It was cathartic, really? You really loved it. Oh some my of God, that? I ruined yeah. it. I did so well, too, because most people, when they had an old TV, they broke the glass in the front, but I went for the back, too, and I destroyed it. I did really well. People were cheering. Oh my God. Did, you, did you start crying? Really laughing and crying at the same no. time? <laughs> no, I <okay>. also <laughs> came with. I think I came with nothing. Then my friend and I snuck into his Lauren Katz, obviously. I'll shout her out. Shout we out snuck Lauren. into a party nearby, stole empty wine bottles, came back with the wine bottles, and then someone traded us the wine bottles for the TVs for some reason. So then we both had TVs to smash. We really, we really did well. Wow. Sounds like quite the night. And now I know what to yeah. do with my old technology. Yeah. Take it to a yeah. smash party. Smash, smash party, party sounds like something else though i don't know <laughs> sounds like a swingers I mean, party then or everybody yeah, got like... fucked but <laughs> yeah. before the fucking there was the the ruining of technology yeah so. okay i thought everyone got together to play super smash brothers <laughs> that's where my head went uh, right well sense. that was that part one it was yeah. part okay, one two cool. and three yeah okay so you you, all you the play smashing. smash yeah, you yeah. play smash on the tv and yeah. then you smash, and then, and then you smash, you smash and then you get the TV. Smashed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not bullshitting you. Like on the professional Smash Brothers scene, people prefer the GameCube version of Smash Brothers. I forget which iteration it is, and the GameCube still has analog inputs or uh, outputs, which means you have to plug it into an old TV. If you if you use an adapter to 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 convert the signal to digital and you hook it up to a modern monitor, which you can do very easily, there's a tiny bit of lag mm-hmm. and the professional players or the serious players do not tolerate that. So they have to play on CRT TVs or bust. That's the smash party. Yeah, that makes sense. You don't want that lag in there. No That's way. why we had to buy the old TV for people to play Duck Hunt. You can't be shooting your gun and the duck doesn't die. Yeah, I don't like any legs when I smash. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, that was awesome. I feel like I would love to restore some old technology. I just feel completely ill-equipped You're full of shit. in I'm many ways. You're calling out on it. No, I would. When I watch, Jen's just like so optimistic every episode. She's like, I'm, I'm going to learn Esperanto. I'm totally going to learn Esperanto. Yeah, I know. I'm going to start masturbating to balloons. I know. I know the intention. Only one there. of those came true. Find out which one on the next two. Stay girls. tuned. <laughs> I would like though to repurpose in to like cool little 
artsy tidbits and things. Yeah, you, were, yes. you were trying to get that out of David. You were like, what can I use my old CDs what for, David? What can I do? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I don't know. Just don't oh make it God, into a Oh my God, I was at my friend's bowl. apartment yesterday and she has CDs. And I was like, girl, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, <laughs> that's a red flag. About <laughs> a human? Should I, should I break yeah. up with her? Should we not be friends? <laughs> yeah. Why is that a red flag? Like oh, if you man, haven't converted she, it to digital at this so point? She's so nice. You're lazy? She's or? planning to convert. <laughs> <laughs> to Judaism so you guys can get married? Yeah, speaking of conversion, David lives by like 16 churches. I mean, it's really like it's you him up on Google all Maps. my stereotypes of Texas came true. And then in the last minute of the show, he was like, Second Amendment rights. And I was like, oh God, he has guns. You know what I mean? I was like, like <laughs> and he knows how to restore things. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways. Otherwise, it's delightful. But wait, I'm confused about why CDs are a red flag. Because, guys, I got to be honest, in my basement, I got some CDs in storage. <laughs> red mean, flag, you've got a basement. <laughs> is that your primary music consumption no. method? Like, no. So no, that's what it's I'm for saying. nostalgia. Yeah. And I'm not going to put them on a computer at this point. I think I'll just get rid of them at some point. But yeah. <laughs> Here's my question about nostalgia and tech, which I'm so fascinated by. Like, Eight tracks, records we love. We love looking at them and, and fetishizing them. And there's record shops that are springing up now, and everyone loves records, or whatever. But CDs are not quite old enough to have any nostalgic weight yet. And I wonder about that. Will they ever, or is there a point, is there a moment in digital history where it's like, ah, uh, you know, CDs were digital and there's nothing sexy about them. So we just moved on to streaming. No love lost, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there are plenty of things that like just get totally lost and that's that. Although I do think there's some nostalgia with it. Like I remember going on trips or going to camp and it was like you had to select the 10 CDs that you could bring because your CD case only held 10 CDs. Sure. I don't know. With with vinyl, as the kids are calling it these days, my mom has a store and she says all these people come in, young people requesting vinyl. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's saying like, well, you need to get a record player in order to play a record. And there's so many freaking cool record players out there. But to play a CD, I don't even know, like our boombox is going to come back on the scene. Sure. I don't, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe. It's possible. But we I, don't, we yeah. don't, uh, we don't fetishize or collect. There are no CD collectors. I've never heard of that or CD player collectors. Yeah, I have uh, not either. That I've done. Ah. I'm guessing it's not going to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem worthwhile unless you want to make cool shit out of it. Like coasters. <laughs> like coasters or butterflies. <laughs> All right. A question for you guys. What was your first, like, encounter with PC technology? Like what was the moment when you walked into a computer lab at school or did you have one at home where it was like, oh, this is what computers are all about? You know what I mean? I want to say it could have been at school, but I think it was at home when we got our first computer. Yeah, when I was 13. I already told you guys my email story where I was like, oh my God, I can write you across the city and you receive it immediately, which we take for granted, but was like, mind-blowing yeah revolutionary yeah well we got a gateway and if you guys want to see that you can go into our discord server and i put a photo <laughs> of myself sitting in front of it a while ago so you could scroll right. matt, how about for you matt it really was it was the apple II, the apple II gs in the computer lab at school and this idea that you could play games on it like oregon trail and and others and then my mom was very um 
she was very forward looking. So she saw the value of like computer classes and also brought a computer into our home very early, I guess, or before most people had a PC. And we had a an IBM PS2, which was a it was a DOS based computer, but it had a visual operating system. So it's pre Windows, but it had a clickable, like uh, a graphical user interface that kind of laid on top of DOS, which I broke because I was like hacking the computer to play certain kinds of video games and uh, busted the user interface, but could still uh, access the computer via DOS. And it's kind of how I learned to use a DOS prompt. Uh, and the rest is history, I guess. Literally, it's history. Yes. <laughs> Completely forgot Bye. it. <laughs> so guys, yeah, let us know what was your first computer, the first memory of coming into contact with a computer. <laughs> um, you can tweet at us. My handle is at Junebugger, J-O-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R. I'm at Allie Gold, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D. You can email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. We may read that email on the show like we did today, or you can call us and that number is... Three four seven eight seven one six five four eight. That number again. Three four seven eight seven one six. Voicemail, guys. We love getting those. And finally, uh, you can go into our Discord server, discord.gg/2g1p. Today's show was recommended by a listener, and we are listening to you. So please suggest show topics, questions for shows, and just come in to chat with us. And if they want to contribute, Ali, how can they do that? You can go to patreon.com/2g1p. All right, everybody. See you next time. Thank you. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg and played through a Sound Blaster 16, I mean produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. I want one that is not too large or heavy.